From BYU Broadcasting's Performance Studio, this is Highway 89. I'm Stephen Cap Perry. In 2005, a group of singers was en route to a festival in Italy. They had the repertoire, they were rehearsed, all ready to wow their waiting audience. All they needed was a name for their group. Paul Smith, one of those singers, said, quote, We needed a name to go on stage, and there were eight of us. We were in Italy, so we wanted something that feels like voices, but had that Latin vibe to it, so we went with voces. Thus was born Voces 8, a group gramophone calls impeccable in its tone and balance. They bring to audiences a captivating blend of original and commissioned pieces, classical works, even pop tunes. They have a large and growing catalog of recordings, including their 2019 release, Enchanted Isle, and maintain a touring and performing schedule that puts them before audiences in the most prestigious halls in the world. They're here at Brigham Young University as guests of the Bravo series and will be thrilling audiences later today here on campus. In the meantime, we're thrilled to have members of the group with us. It's our pleasure to hear music and enjoy conversation in company with Barney Smith and Katie Jeffries Harris. We'll speak to them in just a moment. First, we'll play for you a piece from their new album, Enchanted Isle, from Voces 8. Here's May It Be.
We just heard May It Be from The Enchanted Isle, a release from Voce's 8. Here in studio today, I have Barney Smith and I have Katie Jeffries-Harris. Barney, I understand you were one of the founding members of Voce's 8. I was indeed. So that makes me, I think, in the modern day, a little bit of a relic. <laughs> so how many are you, of the eight traveling today? Are you the remaining? I am the only remaining one. Yeah, Link- and- Andrea has also well. done... A significant tenure in the group, but she joined a couple of years after we started. So I'm the I'm the only original. Tell me a little bit about the album Enchanted Isle, because there's so many sort of mysterious sounding pieces like that. May it be. Was that a guiding principle in choosing those songs? A little bit. I mean, I think probably the main focus of the album was trying to paint the vistas of mm. our homeland. Um, I actually grew up in the English countryside in the Lake District, which is up in the north of the UK. And if your listeners don't know it, definitely get straight on Google Images. It's very, very beautiful. Mm. And so, we, yeah, we just wanted to find a variety of different pieces that represented, I suppose, both the folk styles of the various different parts of the UK. And also, and I was personally principally drawn by the Vistas. When you take a piece like May It Be, of course, it's well known from the Fellowship of the Ring, but you want to make it your own as a group. How do you do that? Well, the key thing is the arranger Mm -hmm. uh, to start with. Uh, We're very lucky in this case that we worked with a guy called Matt Sheeran, who's actually the brother of Ed Sheeran. And we got together with him and he had listened to all of our voices and sort of... It's really interesting when you take a famous piece, a piece that's really well known, because it's probably important that the audience recognize it because the moment they switch it on, they're expecting something from the fact Mm -hmm. they know it already. But then there's also the trick is to try and bring something new and a little bit different to it and we hope that we also i wouldn't say we want to make it better than the original but we'd like to give it something that's a little bit different that might improve it for people who enjoy listening to our genre of music mm. so and that's a, it's a big challenge beautifully done thank you very much i was curious if you would set up for us the next two pieces we're about to hear first song for athena and then the parting glass Song for Athena from 97 does tie in with some other British history. It does. It was The a, actual, it, it, not the fictional of, of Yeah, Tolkien. it was sung at the funeral of Princess Diana. And I was actually a chorister at Westminster Abbey when I was a boy. And I left the Abbey in 1997. And I was called back to sing in the funeral. However, my new school said that they didn't want me to miss my first week. So I would have been in the funeral oh. for, for Diana, but um, I wasn't. Of course, Tavern are very well known for the influence of orthodox music and the orthodox religion on his writing um i think this probably is his now his best known work and rightly so a big challenge for us when we were recording it was the fact there's so many sustained notes it's actually written for a choir of significantly larger harder than to ours. stagger your breathing with absolutely AIDS. yeah so it was a real <laughs> a real challenge um and then after that um i mentioned that we were trying to find lots of folk songs from different places around the british isles and the parting glass is an example of that it was actually arranged on this occasion by the brother of our bass, Joshua Pacey. So Jonathan is our bass, and this Mm. is Josh's arrangement. The altos particularly enjoy it because we get these (laughs) lovely moving parts in the accompaniment. So you have have team alto here in the studio (laughs) today. today, Yeah, so so that's one of the folk songs on the album. We'll hear those pieces now recorded on the album Enchanted Isle, Song for Athena, and The Parting Glass on Highway 89.
We've just heard the parting glass before that, the song for Athena. Conversation today with two members of Voce's Eight. And uh, as was mentioned, we do have Team Alto, as you said, Barty. <laughs> also, you're one of the founding members, Katie, the newest. I am, yeah. How long had you known of the group before you auditioned? I'd known of the group for quite a long time. So I studied music before I joined the group, and they were one of the main groups I listened to when referencing pieces that we were singing in choir and going back back and looking through recordings. It's unique in some ways, I think, to have soprano, soprano, alto, countertenor, tenor, tenor, baritone, bass, which is the voicing. Is that part of a unique sound that you're blending countertenor and an alto together, do you think? <laughs> I think we make it unique, <laughs> sometimes by accident. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it's very interesting, isn't it? I mean, yeah. before we had a countertenor in the group, uh, Chris, my former colleague, and a big part of what we do, which we kind of didn't really know when we started the group, is we sing a massive variety of repertoire. Yeah. And so versatility mm. is really, really important. And you know, I think I can say as a countertenor that it's not always the world's most versatile voice. So actually having a female alto, um, well, I suppose Katie is really a mezzo. So a very wide range makes life a lot easier from that perspective. But one of the things that really stuck out for me when we auditioned Katie was she has quite, a, I think, a unique timbre. Mm. So she obviously, when you listen to her sing and your listeners will hear it, you know it's a, a lady, a female singer. But there's a character in the voice which also I think lends itself to the unique sound of a falsettist and so there's something for me to grab onto <laughs> when, when yeah. we're trying to work together. And vice versa Barney is one of the only countertenors I think I've ever worked with who does actually try to sound like a woman so we both are going towards each other and kind of meet somewhere in the middle, somewhere in the middle. which is, is lovely. Now when the group started and had the repertoire of one album or two albums that was one thing but you've joined did they just hand you a whole stack of CDs and say <laughs> you'll need to know these? Uh, not too far off I got I got the list of about the first four months worth of concerts and all of the repertoire that was going to be used in those concerts and I think I went through it and we, we sat down and we colour-coded it as to what was memorised, what was mm. learnt backwards, what we could do from score. And I had about a month and a half of memorising. Very intense. A decent amount of repertoire. I think at any time we have about, what is it, about 50 pieces? Probably 50 or 60 pieces from memory. From memory. Wow. Um, and then I think in a season we might sing as many as 250 So there's pieces. no danger of pulling out an encore that she might not have heard yet. Mm, there's there's, there's <laughs> chances of putting out one that we hadn't practised yet. <laughs> no, generally it was very good. Um, the preparation was great. Yeah. You as a group have an unusually rigorous performing schedule. Three American tours just this year, plus Mexico, Singapore. I don't know where else you're singing in this last season. In addition to commercial considerations governing touring, what makes you motivated to stay on the road that much to reach audiences live? I think it's the people that you meet, mm -hmm. actually, that makes the biggest difference. People, I think people assume that traveling, I mean, of course, it's lovely to travel, but as you and wearing. allude to, it's, <laughs> it's, yeah, it's tiring. I think it's actually the people that we meet. And as a consequence of that, it's also really nice that we do a lot of teaching. Every concert hall that you sing and every audience that you sing to, there's a different energy. That's not just what you feel on stage. It's also what you get when you meet and greet after the concert. But then also, of course, all the students and the choirs that you get to work with. It's a very touching thing. I mean, just yesterday we were up in Rexburg and the touring choir there, we had no idea we were doing a sort of Q&A with them. And the choir director came in and said, actually, we start our sessions by singing a prayer. 
and they just sang to us for five minutes and we were all just like, you know, we're missing home. We were like, basically just crying. <laughs> and that's actually, you know, of course we aspire, especially when we study, we aspire to sing in the biggest concert hall and the biggest festival. But actually I think the nicest thing when you're actually on the road are those personalised experiences. Mm. I understand the name of the group you came up with on the fly. <laughs> yeah. But you stuck with it. It seems to have worked. <laughs> well, actually, well. we have on our, on our um, we're, we're a foundation, a charity, a 501c3. And uh, on our board of trustees, we have a gentleman who's very high up in the world's largest marketing organization. And he said to us the other day, well, I'm... <laughs> It's just too late to change it, isn't it? So there you go. <laughs> it's very difficult because it's unique in so many ways. However, nobody can really say it. Nobody can really spell it. So it's quite an interesting thing. We get called a whole load of things, don't we? Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> can add to the entertainment value. Well, here are two pieces. One actually ties in with film, uh, Hymn to the Fallen. And I love hearing the voices do the trumpet intervals. <laughs> yes. Because that's unique. It's a piece for orchestra backed up by a choir mm -hmm. which is opposite of how and uh, usually him often is yes right? exactly. it, but you're taking over the orchestra parts too and i loved hearing the, those change the fourths and thirds changing between what would be the horn parts it was yeah. lovely lovely it's, to it hear took quite a lot of practice actually i still take my hat off to the sopranos who did the really high stuff it's very <laughs> very difficult and then a classic beloved choral piece manu mysterium I think probably Morton Lauritsen gave birth, didn't he, to the modern era of American choral writers. And this is probably his, mm. probably his best known work. And rightly so, it's just beautiful. And, you know, coming back to that conversation we were having earlier about the countertenor female alto thing, at this time in the group, we had two countertenors. Mm -hmm. And I think probably this piece for us was the biggest challenge to record because Morton writes it with female voices and also with quite a symphonic texture. Mm -hmm. And so for us two countertenors to try and make those sounds, I still remember it was a stressful session. <laughs> <laughs> it turned out well. And we'll hear, I hope so. <laughs> well enough that you released it and yeah, we will now indeed. hear those pieces. First, Hymn to the Fallen and O Manu Mysterium recorded on the album Album Eventide, Boches 8 on Highway 89.
We've just heard O Manu Mysterium and Hymn to the Fallen from the recording Eventide by Voces 8. They're here, two members with us of the group in studio today. We have Barney Smith and we have Katie Jeffries-Harris. All of you, just in reading your biographies, have lots of musical background and training on your way to where you are today. You've been in lots of choirs, Katie, I'm sure. Sharing your part with maybe four other singers or perhaps with 20 other singers, depending on the group. But here you are often when parts begin splitting, holding down your own part as the sole person singing that part. Yeah. What does that feel? Is that a different, a different responsibility? It is. It gives you a lot more of your own artistic input into that, into how that line goes. You get a lot more of a say as to, as to where you want that line to go. It is a, it's a bigger responsibility. It's always quite exciting because with having then one person to each each voice part, you've got all of these different timbres of voice coming through. We don't go into it trying to sound like the same person next to us. Um, we're going into pieces of polyphony, for example, Sing Joyfully that we're going to open the show with tonight. You want to hear everybody's different voices. So it's bringing to it as much as you can. So it seems it would be very satisfying when you nail it. Yeah. You think, we got through, I did it. But if someone says, oh, there's a problem with the first altos, <clears throat> it's only one person to accept. It's always the first alto, it's never always, the second alto. Always, always, always me. <laughs> um, yeah, so one of the things I love about the group is how open we can be with each other. So obviously there are parts where somebody will, maybe it's a wrong note, maybe it's that that vocal part sticks out too much or that it's too quiet and can't be heard enough and you want to have mm. a little bit more juice from that section. So it's being able to talk to, talk to each other and say, what you're doing there is really great, but can you make, can you do this? Can you try this? Can you try that? We all know that if we're given a suggestion or something to improve upon from another member, or if we're giving it out, it's because we want the group to do well. It's not, never intended as a personal comment. We respect everybody as musicians in their own right. That's a very useful skill to have as a musician to be doing things in a way that builds the team and not to push anyone down. I would have to ask you, Barney, because you've been there since the beginning, what kind of philosophy do you have when someone says, I've loved this, but it's my time to move on or I have other commitments? How much time can you spend worrying about, we need to replace this exact sound so we sound like album number three or album number four? Or do you just have to throw that out in the window and say, we'll be a new sound? I think it's probably a mixture of all of the above really I mean change must be embraced and if it's embraced in the right way I believe it's a really positive thing normally people leave the group when they feel for any reason whether it's personal professional that they aren't contributing what they'd like to contribute so at that point ultimately for them it's the best decision and of course that in turn then becomes the best decision for the group I mean when we go through the audition process which The only negative, if you're going to say, is the fact it takes time in a busy schedule to find a new singer. That's the only negative because it has to be a really thorough process. We're never looking necessarily to replace the person who we're not looking for a replacement for Sam, for example, who's leaving at the end of this season. We're looking for someone to succeed him. And so we hope that that person will, of course, there's some things they have to be able to do. They have to be able to sing one to a part polyphony confidently <laughs> because you know if you, you can't run if you can't walk so there's elements of things that boxes that they have to tick but then we're looking for a musician who brings something unique and something special and we will build the group's future 
around that specifically so it's an exciting thing and i would say on average one person leaves every year and if that happens then everybody has an eight-year tenure in the group which when you're on the road for seven months of the year is pretty good going some people will stay longer some people will stay shorter so you mentioned that you have a wide range of repertoire including time of course from very ancient music to something that everybody's just hearing or just learning and i'd love for you to talk about luckiest we're about to hear that. <laughs> it's a very special arrangement, I think. We spoke earlier about May It Be, about trying to bring something different to the song. And I believe this truly achieves it. It's a song I actually am ashamed to say I didn't know before Jim Clements, who's the arranger here, put it on my desk. And the thing I really like about it is obviously the song itself is great. But Jim has managed to turn it into a piece of choral music in essence and I think it's absolutely I couldn't even comprehend doing that myself so I think that's absolutely genius the lyrics in particular are very very touching but I have to say that the fact it can sit as a piece of Ben Folds on the same disc as Gregorio Allegri's Miserere and not stand out in a bad way as being a different type of music I think is of great credibility to the arranger and a bit to the singers. Well, you know, <laughs> occasionally. <laughs> this Marched. is from the 2015 album Looks. We listen to The Luckiest from Voce's 8 on Highway 89.
On Highway 89, we've just heard the luckiest. Speaking of the luckiest, we are quite lucky to have two members of Voces 8 in studio today. They're here on campus performing, and they do workshops around the world. I appreciate these two for making time on a very busy day, Barney Smith and Katie Jeffries-Harris. We talked earlier about that Voces 8 method mentioned. It was written by Paul Smith, not currently one of the singers, but one of the founding members. How far ahead can you look when you try and envision what have we accomplished? What could we accomplish as mm-hmm. a group? Is that always changing or the yeah, future part, vision? It's part of my role as artistic director is to be thinking about those sorts of things. But genuinely, one of the problems that I have is that we get so busy that it's I actually often forget what I've done the day before. And then I'm not really sure what I'm doing beyond next week. And so finding time, mm. not just for that sort of those upper echelon discussions about vision but also for the group to really have some time to reflect and work on our technique away from the concert platform is it's a challenge. just doing what you do yeah with the touring and, and maintaining exactly seems like is certainly a full at least a full time yeah and you know any commitment. sports team has an off season don't they where they have a chance to think about all these things and assess the squad and all that kind of stuff and for us making that time is a real mm-hmm. challenge you know at the moment we're looking at probably i mean that the bookings are maybe two or three seasons in advance so we have an idea of how we're shaping up that way mm. uh, but also looking at the branding and imaging of the group and that happens of course on the concert platform but also for our charity we have the vcm foundation in london and we also have a 501c3 here in america called um, the vcm foundation usa so think about how that's all working and how we can best fulfill the commitments we've made with those charitable endeavors and then of course there's also our recording as well which has to be thought about and oh yes just, let's well yeah absolutely just this morning i spent an hour on the telephone to don't you think you London. have done more recording than most choirs do i, I think, mean it seems like you have crammed in a lot of albums in the life of the group we have but the, i mean there's just this kind of insatiable appetite mm-hmm. i mean i think as an ensemble we 
people would expect us to be releasing an album a season. And I think it's a challenge to release one every 18 months. Mm. So that requires thought. And, you know, I'm excited to say that I was sitting this morning talking about what we're going to be recording in the next 12 months. So that is exciting. But it is also, it's a balancing act. And I think that people often ask, you know, why is the group successful? And, you know, there are a number of things I could point to where we've had lucky breaks along the way. But one of the biggest things about what we do today is balancing all of those things from work-life balance all the way mm -hmm. through to working out what the balance is when we're at work. And that's a real challenge. We're sort of leading up to our final piece, but I have a question for each of you from your different viewpoints as a founding member and as the newest member. As you look back, is it possible for you to pick out a piece or two that you would say, these have been the most meaningful to me over the life of this group? Absolutely, for sure. Do you want to know what they are? I am, of course. <laughs> well, the first one is one that's about to come back into the repertoire, actually. It's called Oh Clap Your Hands by Orlando Gibbons. And I have a really special place in my heart for this piece because when I was six years old, I said I grew up in the Lake District in the UK, and my father had been, his job had been posted to London. And so my mum went to London to look for a job for herself, and she walked into Westminster Abbey just to go to the even even song and on her way out she saw the picture that said this could be your son with a boy in a in a rough you know <laughs> and so she went into the choir school and lo and behold six months later my big brother paul was off to london to boarding school and i missed him so much and every night my mum would put on a tape of him singing oh clap your hands with the westminster abbey choir and it was a whole tape, but I would never get past the first track because I was just, never heard polyphony before. It's a mm -hmm. piece of eight-part polyphony. And I was just so enthralled by it. I would literally, I wouldn't go to sleep. I'd just click, clicking rewind <laughs> and listen to it over and over again. And um, it's a piece that we sang in the group. It's in eight parts. And we sang it in the group probably as the first piece in most of our concerts for the first five years of the group. And so I absolutely love singing that. Now, in a shorter tenure, are there some that have been most meaningful to you? Yeah, so I think... When first starting out, one of the pieces that stood out for me was it's a classic of the group, doing straighten up and fly right. It's a piece that we use <laughs> to introduce ourselves to audiences. So comes with a bit of a monologue from one of the singers as to here is Barney, who is our artistic director, and here is Sam, who is our English tenor. And for the first time getting getting your name called out as here is Katie, who's the new alto, is incredibly exciting oh, and very I can humbling. Imagine. Um and I have very fond memories. It also comes with a little bit of choreography, which as a, as a, as a rather new member, remembering which, which way your head should turn is a, is a fantastic challenge for your first two concerts. <laughs> um, so that would be high up there just as in for very good memories. My, I think one of my other ones uh, changes daily. There's a huge amount of music that we do and I love, I love a huge amount of it. The last time we were in America, we were touring a Remembrance concert, which included, um, I think, three pieces of Paris songs of farewell. And it was, I loved doing that night after night. And as, as, as you kind of got through the tour, it started to bring new meanings. You were reading into the text more and more. So what you started out with is three really beautiful pieces. By the end of it, you had such an emotional connection, such a, a heart within this piece. I found that very exciting and very moving. Well, I wish you both well in your performances today. I wish I had another hour to pick your brains. <laughs> and, and you're so generous in sharing with us today. We do have time for one more. This is called Stars. And I wonder, Barney, if you'd introduce this. Yes, this is a very unique piece because it's the only piece of choral music I know that is written to be sung with tuned water glasses. I mean, the clue is in the title that these 
um, water glasses sort of shimmer over the coral texture, I suppose, a little bit like we might see cosmic mist in space or the northern lights, I suppose, um, would be another good example. Um, I have a specific memory of this one in the the recording session. During practice, the singers are supposed to play the glasses themselves, but during practice, we found it too difficult with one person on a part to play a glass and sing well enough and so we were like oh well, the recording's tomorrow what are we going to do and so everyone rung up their mum and dad <laughs> and our parents <laughs> and wives and <laughs> brothers and sisters came down to the church and played the glasses for us some of them didn't even read music so then it, instead of instead of having to play the glass you just had to point at the person who's playing the glass for you as to when they should play um, and it was, it was very good fun that along with tuning them which was a challenge in its own right and I was, I was there with a pipette because it it all depends how much water's in the glass. A drop to in, in, a drop out. Well, exactly. Oh, yeah. And it's amazing the difference it makes. Just And then, you know, we sat down and the, of course the people playing the glasses didn't quite appreciate this. And so in order, even though we put water to one side for them to wet their fingers, they start dipping their finger in the glass. And I'd be like, no, I just, you know, I have to go back with my pipette. So it was very good fun. But the, hope no one gets thirsty and just out of habit holding a glass. But it's, Eric Sessenvalz is an incredible writer. And I just think the... Um, imagination that he used to create this piece is astounding and it's such a pleasure to sing it really here is stars from the album looks by voces eight
From the album Looks, we've heard stars. We're so grateful to have music and conversation today with two members of which is eight. So Barney, Katie, thank you very much. A pleasure. Thank you for having us. They are here on our BYU campus performing and teaching as part of the Bravo series, part of a rigorous touring schedule that has the group traveling the world as they have since the group began nearly a decade and a half ago. We're delighted they could join us here on Highway 89. You can find the large and growing catalog of Voce's eight albums, as well as more information about the educational outreach and other projects in which they're involved, www.voces8.com, V-O-C-E-S, numeral eight, and of course, wherever you purchase your favorite music. If you just caught part of the show and would like to hear the beginning, listen again, or share it with a friend, you can do that. All of our shows are archived online for free on-demand listening at byuradio.org slash highway89. Follow us on Twitter at BYUH89 for live show updates and special behind-the-scenes photos and video clips. Highway 89 is a production of BYU Broadcasting in Provo, Utah. Our producer is Sam Payne. I'm Stephen Cap Perry. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.